fears of another COVID Christmas. This is a time more than ever that we need to hold the line. The Omicron factor and how new modeling data could put a damper on your holiday plans. New cases on the Canucks. We're just working through all the league protocols at this point in time. Could COVID bench the team? And fake nurse fallout. Honestly, I want to know how it happened. Tell me what went wrong. Patients of an alleged imposter explore legal action. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. As holiday gatherings kick into high gear, an ominous message from BC's top doctor today about the Omicron variant. It is here and it is spreading. New COVID modeling data predicts a major spike in the number of daily cases, even in a best case scenario. Richard Zussman has our top story. Omicron wave. We are continuing to uh, detect Omicron and there will be more cases. The highly transmissible COVID-19 variant has now been detected 44 times in BC. 37 of those cases in vaccinated people, 7 in unvaccinated. 20 cases linked to travel, meaning the virus is now spreading in the community. To help us understand where we are seeing Omicron, where it is spreading, where it's coming from, and how we can manage to um, to try and contain it and slow it down if we can. Omicron transmissibility is one and a half to three times greater than the COVID currently in the population. But the rate of hospitalization is lower. Even so, there's still so much the province doesn't know about the variant, including the effectiveness of vaccines. We don't know yet if Omicron will uh, be able to evade the immune defenses that are given through vaccination. The province noting these scenarios could change. But for now, the best case scenario at the bottom there in hospitalizations remains stable. The worst case at the top is we overwhelm the system by mid-January with 75 people going to hospital each day with COVID. There are some people, uh, young people, who are getting quite sick with this, not sick enough to need hospitalization, but it certainly is a, a serious illness. Cases, a more stunning picture. Best case again at the bottom sees 1,000 new COVID cases a day by mid-January. Worst case at the top, 2,000 new cases per day before the end of this year. This is a time more than ever that we need to hold the line. But even after looking at those worst case scenarios, the province deciding not to put any additional restrictions in place around the holidays. Instead, reminding British Columbians to be cautious. What I am telling people right now is to rethink what you are doing over the holidays in terms of having gatherings with people, particularly large social gatherings with people that you don't know their vaccination status. The province also noting Omicron is infecting people globally who have had COVID before, providing the reminder once again, the best defense against the virus, no matter the strain, is the vaccine. Richard from Global News, Victoria. All right, let's take a look at our latest COVID-19 numbers for BC. And it does appear we're having a bit of an uptick. We have 519 new cases to report, 3,171 active cases. 
191 people are in hospital with 81 of those patients in the ICU. Now, the better news is, thankfully, in the last 24 hours, no one has died from complications of the virus. And breaking details on a call between Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the premiers that wrapped up just a short time ago. In an effort to get the upper hand on rising COVID cases, Ottawa is reportedly considering bringing back some of those travel recommendations. Keith Baldry joins us with what we know about that part of the story. Recommendations, advisories, restrictions, we're not quite sure what's going to happen yet. No, and no official word from the Prime Minister's office or the B.C. Premier's office or indeed any Premier across Canada tonight. We do expect an announcement tomorrow uh, to touch on travel and the border. We may go be going back in time to when we had earlier restrictions. Uh, again, no one has uh, really firm details on this yet, but we do know this. these were the top two topics discussed today in the phone call between uh, Justin Trudeau and Canada's Premier. It was an earlier phone call between Mr. Trudeau and Mr. Horgan. Uh, John Horgan, of course, being the chair of the Council Federation, which represents all the premiers, they did agree on the sense of urgency that is now attached to the situation because of the Omicron situation. So a number of measures were discussed tonight. No official word yet. We are expecting some new rules or some new advisories at the very least when it comes to travel and border travel uh, tomorrow. All right, we'll see what they have to say tomorrow. Thanks for that, Keith. And uh, even with a couple of COVID cases among Vancouver Canucks players, it's game on at Rogers Arena tonight, at least so far. Puck drop is less than an hour from now. Kamal Kuramali is live outside Rogers Arena. Kamal, when you and I talked about 20 minutes ago, you mentioned the Canucks were still waiting on some test results, but so far, so good. Absolutely. Well, so far, we've heard from the Canucks that it's full steam ahead, that they're planning on going on with this game unless they get some really bad news and those test results they're waiting for come back positive, at least a majority of them do. So that would leave a lot of these fans super disappointed. These fans are streaming in and uh, are planning on attending this game like it's, it would be a regular game. But once again, we have not heard back from the team on whether the players' test results are all negative. Once again, if a majority of them or a large number of them come back positive, well, then there's nothing stopping this game from being postponed. Now, this all started when two members of the Canucks team tested positive earlier today, Yuho Lamico and Luke Shen. They both entered the NHL COVID-19 protocol, which means mandatory isolation for at least 10 days. And that also meant no practice this morning. The Canucks actually, if you remember, played Carolina Hurricanes two nights ago, and four more players on the Canes tested positive today as well. Canucks players said they're not comfortable practicing with the team until the test results came in. And President Jim Rutherford earlier today said that would happen at 6 p.m. tonight. Once again, we're still waiting for those test results from the team to come back. But uh, so far, the team said uh, they're not taking any chances based on what they saw last year. We're in a different world and uh, we, we all have to make adjustments to it. And and uh, we'll adjust to this situation. But, you know, the Canucks have experienced this before last year, and it's not a, it's not a fun place to be for our players. It wasn't, uh, wasn't something that was easy to go through last year, and uh, nobody wants to get in that same situa situation this year. 
Now, the league has really never made it clear how many players on a team would need to test positive for games to be postponed. But right now, so far, we only have know of those two, of Shen and Lamico. Once again, Chris, waiting for the rest of the team's test results to come in, but based on what we're seeing here behind me, it's uh, game on tonight against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Back over to you. All right, let's hope they get a chance to extend that win streak. Thanks very much, Kamal. A blast of winter hit parts of Metro Vancouver today, causing some morning commuter chaos and a few ICBC claims before most of it melted away. Amadagahi has more on the short-lived snow day. The commute in was the first sign. That things were going to move slow Tuesday morning. I'm a couple of hours late, so... Are you already? Oh, I've been stuck here for a couple of hours, yeah. Welcome to winter. <laughs> How are you enjoying the snow? I'm not enjoying it. <laughs> Except it wasn't exactly a wonderland until the sun had come up and everyone had gotten a hold of their boss. Yeah. It's a snow globe up here on, on Burnaby Mountain. The site got shut down, so no more plumbing today. Just trying to get home. Jeeps are made for mud anyway. Tuesday's snow is what meteorologists call localized. In fact, it only really fell in parts of Surrey, Delta, New Westminster, Burnaby Mountain, and the Tri-Cities. Um, I like that it wears the kids out, <laughs> wear all their energy out. Higher elevations like Westwood Plateau and Heritage Woods would see the most of it. In New West, where for some it meant play. She loves it. She loves the snow. For others, it was hard work and an insurance claim. Snow gets on the trees top heavy and they snap out. You can see it fell over and snapped on the car. This woman, thankful she did not park here in the morning. It's pretty sad that this tree came down. It's been here since the building's been here. By noon, the snow had stopped and apart from some slippery side streets, Metro Vancouver had survived its first punch of winter weather. Amadagahi Global News. All right, while all the official snowfall warnings have ended, there is still a chance of snow this evening. Meteorologist Christy Gordon is here with those details. Christy? <laughs> Thanks, Soph. And once again, it could be localized. You know, it's the case here across the south coast. We have such a variation in temperature. Freezing levels, when we get some intense localized precipitation, can actually force the freezing level to drop over one specific area. And that's sort of what happened today. Here's a look at what we're expecting tonight. So again, pockets of precipitation expected. I think the best chance of seeing some snowfall will be the North Shore, the Tri-Cities, House Sound, and the Sunshine Coast. Inland sections of Vancouver Island could also see it. But once again, we're talking about a range. Some areas may not see anything, whereas some areas could see up to five. When I come back, we'll, we'll hone in on the timeline of that. And of course, we'll have a look at the interior also. All right. All right. Thanks for that, Christy. The federal finance minister delivered her fiscal update today, and it includes a big chunk of cash for B.C. Thank Christia you. Freeland pledging $5 billion to help our province rebuild after an unprecedented year of natural disasters. The money will go towards repairing the damage from last month's flooding disaster and wildfires this past summer. A rapidly improved national economy has given Ottawa what it thinks is enough financial wiggle room for $28 billion in new spending this year. Well, it's been one month since the devastating atmospheric river hit B.C. and some residents of Tulamine are still in the dark. 
More than a dozen families living along Tulamine River Road have been without power since the storm struck. The evacuation order has been lifted and road access to those homes is restored, but the work to rebuild electrical and phone service is taking a lot longer than anticipated. This is not so much a simple repair job where we're going in and fixing the infrastructure. Uh, this was a full infrastructure rebuild. We're all sitting out here in the cold and it's getting colder every day. And we expected to get power shortly thereafter. We were promised it various times. They would say two days, five days, but every couple days they come up with a new reason and a new story why we are not getting our power back. Here's a new pledge. Fortis says the work is expected to be completed by the end of the week. Well, it's in times of crisis that British Columbians we know come out to help. Global BC, 980 CKNW, AM730 and Global Okanagan are all partnering for BC Together in support of BC flood relief. Just visit globalnews.ca slash bctogether to check out the groups that are stepping up to help out and donate to an organization of your choice. The healthcare hoax that's leaving patients feeling violated. Bridget Clarou is accused of impersonating a nurse for a year at BC Women's Hospital. The failure that allowed it to happen and the lawsuits that could result next on the news hour. Vindication for a vulnerable Penticton senior who lost her home and thousands in equity when the city sold it over unpaid taxes. That's coming up on the news hour. And a proud moment for a 103-year-old Métis woman who kept her cultural identity a secret for most of her life. That's still to come. Right now, though, we are hearing today from a former patient at BC Women's Hospital who's been told she is one of many patients who received care from a fake nurse. Bridget Clarou was charged with posing as a nurse at the hospital for a full year. Romina Dea spoke to one of many women exploring legal action and demanding answers about how this could have happened. I know she was never alone, but that's terrifying. Shailene Purin <laughs> terrified after receiving a shocking letter from BC Women's Hospital. So just to find out that the trust that I had put in the team because you expect a certain thing was violated. I can't really describe how that felt. The Kelowna resident underwent life-changing surgery at BC Women's in Vancouver in April for debilitating endometriosis, which prevented her from getting pregnant. Bridget Clareau, a convicted fraudster, allegedly part of Pirin's surgical team. Clareau now facing charges for impersonating a nurse between June 2020 and June 2021. You didn't even use the computer to tell me how this woman touched my body while I was there. I have no idea what she did. And they give you a number to call, but absolutely nobody calls back. BC Women's not the only facility. Management at View Royal Surgical Clinic in Victoria now confirming Claro worked there for three weeks in November 2020. Claro has a long list of fraud convictions. The Ontario College of Nurses issued a warning about her in 2010. Another warning by BC's college just six months ago. Claro is still in custody in Ontario, where she's dealing with other court matters. Her next court appearance in Vancouver is January 5th via video. Vancouver police tell us its investigation is ongoing and patients continue to come forward. My first thought was, this is 
absolutely unacceptable. Lawyer Morgan Chandler says her firm is investigating after receiving roughly 20 calls from concerned women. Everything is on the table, including a class action lawsuit. How did this happen? How did it happen for so long? These individuals put their trust in the system and the system let them down. PHSA, which is responsible for BC Women's, did not answer our questions by deadline. The surgery changed Piran's life. She's now 21 weeks pregnant, but she's mentally distraught over a lack of answers. Honestly, I want to know how it happened. Tell me what went wrong. Tell me how you're fixing it. Tell me how it's never going to happen again. Romina Dea, Global News. Still ahead, safety concerns that could stall subway construction. When your safety concerns fall on deaf ears for this long, as a parent, you become pretty worried. The Vancouver Elementary School launching a lawsuit to get the builder's attention. And a front row ticket to frustration, how purchasing Canucks tickets turned into a nightmare for one fan. Steady both ways over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge with just some minor slowdowns at the south end on the Nordell off-ramp. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, Expert Repair for Your Vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. A Vancouver elementary school has launched legal action that could complicate the $3 billion Broadway subway project. St. Augustine School says the project hasn't done enough to protect students and staff from the impact of construction and expected increase in bus traffic just meters from the school. Aaron MacArthur reports. Over the peals of happy laughter at St. Augustine School, the noise of a nearby construction project is easy to hear. Kitty corner to the school's playground sits what will be the last stop on the new Broadway subway line. Much to the dismay of parents, construction has started here without any meaningful safety improvements on site. Bottom line, some traffic calming measures in place, um, some noise mitigations in place for the kids. As soon as the location of the final station was made clear, the school tried to engage the provincial government on issues of safety. Amber lights are flashing. According to the school principal, there was no meaningful consultation prior to the announcement. According to court documents, the Ministry of Transportation attempted to consult with the wrong school, St. Augustine's, based in Belle Island, Newfoundland. From the get-go, we've been uh, hopefully very respectful and very professional and, and collaborative, uh, solutions-oriented, trying to find um, ways to coexist. The Ministry of Transportation is responsible for the construction of the Broadway line saying the project team has met with the school's representatives on over 25 occasions to canvass the school's concerns. It goes on to say, in fact, a meeting occurred as recently as last week, and the project team had also agreed to respond in writing to the proposed mitigation measures. It's not the norm for a school to have to propose a list of mitigations to a project team. It should have been the other way around. I think after two years of working uh, uh, with the project team and, and the different agencies, reaching out to the different MLAs, MPs, government officials, uh, different agencies. Um, we felt like we had no other choice. Construction at other stations along Broadway already well underway. Construction on the line expected to last until 2025. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. 
The city of Penticton will reimburse a vulnerable woman after selling her home without her consent. Penticton's mayor also offered an apology to the woman. The case was the focus of a BC Ombudsperson's report, which found the city didn't properly communicate with the woman, identified as Ms. Wilson, after she was deemed delinquent on her property taxes in 2016. Her outstanding tax bill totaled about $10,000, but the city sold her home through auction for $150,000, less than half of its assessed value. I want the public to know that the apology didn't mean that we said anything wrong. Um, we are compassionate uh, people. Uh, the community, the city of Penticton is compassionate to everybody. Uh, what happened was unfortunate, uh, but we try to somehow give her a little bit peace of mind. Ms. Wilson is now living in a care facility and the funds will be used to ensure she's financially secure. A lot of people add on extra insurance when they're buying tickets for a sporting event or concert and in case an emergency prevents them from attending. That's what a B.C. woman did when she purchased tickets for a Canucks game she could never make it to. But she was in for an unwelcome surprise at how it all unfolded. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea has the details. And Thanks, Chris. When Irene Warren purchased the extra insurance for her Vancouver Canucks tickets, she thought she would have all the protection she needed. Now she's sharing her story and why it is so important to read the fine print of any insurance policy. When I got that insurance, I thought to myself, you know what, this is the best thing I could do for myself. That's what Irene Warren initially thought when she purchased Vancouver Canucks tickets. Back in October, the Prince George resident purchased four tickets for the November 17th game in Vancouver between the Canucks and the Avalanche through TicketNetwork.com, an online marketplace. But before Irene checked out, she also purchased the event ticket protector insurance. On the belief that if anything should happen, that I would get my refund back. On November 15th, Irene left her home two days before the game, but historic flooding in southern BC prevented her from driving to Vancouver. She even attempted a second time, but was forced to return home. So we decided, okay, this is the way it is, so we'll just turn around and see what we can do about getting a refund for the game. Irene says she reached out to TicketNetwork.com to see if the company would issue a refund given the unprecedented circumstances. But the company told her, as stated previously, all sales were final. The company directing her to the insurer, Alliance Global Assistance. But the tickets were more than just about cheering on her favorite hockey team. Irene is an Indian Day School survivor. Back in June, Irene received compensation from the Day School settlement and wanted to celebrate with her family. The experience from Day School that I endured when I was a child was one of the reasons I wanted to celebrate from the bad to the good. Consumer Matters reached out to TicketNetwork.com on Irene's behalf explaining her circumstances and were told in a statement, since she wisely chose to purchase event insurance, our primary role in this process has been to answer what questions we can and furnishing a copy of her transaction receipt in order that she can file her claim. And when we reached out to the insurer, we were told it would be inappropriate to comment on a specific case. In the end, Irene's claim was denied, her particular insurance policy not covering her for the extreme weather events she encountered. Lawyer Kyla Lee, who is not associated with this case, says Irene's outcome 
is disappointing. For somebody who, particularly in her circumstances, really wanted to go to this event to celebrate a you know, significant moment in her life and to have no control over the fact that she could not go, that's the type of thing you expect insurance to cover and that insurance companies really should be exercising some compassion about. Irene is out over $1,300 but says it's lesson learned now hoping for a better experience the next time she makes plans to see her favorite team. Now, we decided to reach out to Ticket Network one last time to see if the company would make an exception. We were told in a statement, because of how our policies work to protect both clients and those who sell tickets on our marketplace, we unfortunately cannot cancel her purchase and refund her because the seller did provide the tickets as promised. However, the company did provide Irene with a credit towards a future purchase on the Ticket Network marketplace in the amount of $500 U.S. And if you have a consumer-related issue, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, thanks very much, Ann. Well, up next, a cultural coming out party. You wouldn't say it at one time. That's how it was. A B.C. woman who concealed her heritage most of her life turns 103, celebrating much more than her birthday. And what the Salvation Army has on its wish list this year. Final clearing stages of a crash involving a bus here in Richmond. It's westbound on Steveston Highway near Coppersmith. That's just a little bit west of Highway the Massey Tunnel, as you can see. It's quite heavily backed up. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash in Richmond. An emotional ceremony today on Vancouver Island that serves as a graphic illustration of what many Indigenous people in B.C. have endured. At the age of 103, Gladys Goulet is officially a Métis citizen. Kylie Stanton on the heartbreaking reason it took so long. Happy birthday. It's a milestone not everyone reaches. 103 is uh, something special. But then again, not everyone is Gladys Goulet. She's a tough cookie. I was told in my back. The Victoria woman celebrating with her family, a chance to look back on all she's accomplished. My mom is amazing. She's worked hard throughout her entire life. Growing up in Saskatchewan, Goulet and her brother were orphaned at a young age, becoming wards of the province. After meeting her husband, the couple relocated to Vancouver Island, starting a business and a family. But through it all, Goulet had kept a secret. You wouldn't say it at one time. That's how it was. Concealing her matey heritage for decades. Imagine living all those years of your life and feeling you had to hide or be ashamed that that's what your heritage was. That's just, that's just wrong. And so her family was determined to make things right, applying for Goulet's citizenship. Little did they know it would result in yet another major milestone. The oldest citizen at 103. Is that right? <laughs> How very nice, eh? The official card, the perfect birthday gift. And I'd like to present you with this special sash as well. Oh, oh my nice. 
to hear uh, someone who's 103 say, you know, it, it, it's okay now. And yes, it, absolutely, it's it's always been okay, but it's definitely. Um, that renewed sense of, of nationhood and of pride. And while Goulet may be the oldest, she's not the only one. Since 2018, 5,000 new Métis citizens have been verified in B.C., 1,000 in the past six months alone. Goulet's daughter included. A reflection of the growing awareness of indigenous issues that's now empowering British Columbians to connect with their nation and culture. You should always have the opportunity to be proud of who you are, no matter who you are. And no matter how old, Goulet is proof it's never too late. I appreciate very much. Kelly Stanton, Global News. With less than two weeks until Christmas, the Salvation Army is hoping the public will help boost its annual kettle campaign. In some B.C. communities, kettle donations are down by as much as 50 percent compared to last year. In Kelowna alone, the Salvation Army is more than $100,000 short of its holiday goal. At the same time, the organization is seeing a huge increase in the demand for its services and programs province-wide. Yeah, in British Columbia right now, we're down about a half a million dollars from where we would normally be at this point. When we're down this much, it's very concerning. Uh, the programs and services we run, you know, meet basic human needs. So food, clothing, sheltering. Uh, and like I said, that's got to be 365 days a year, uh, not just during Christmas. Because the Salvation Army relies on November-December donations to operate throughout the year, it's asking shoppers to give what they can when they come across kettle volunteers at the local mall or grocery store. Still got some last-minute shopping to do, so no doubt that'll help. Still ahead, a league of their own. I see puck and I go. Female hockey players prove there is no age limit to having fun on the ice. But first, the surprise discovery... That's delaying a major project to divert excess rainfall from North Shore neighborhoods. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, the flooding and landslides might be over for now, but some residents of the community of Sycamus are worried about a potential disaster with its roots in this summer's wildfires. After being forced from their homes this summer, residents of the two mile area of Sycamus are now being warned that the wildfire on the slope above their community has left them vulnerable to debris flows during heavy rain. The fire chief says even a one-in-two-year rainfall could bring a moderate slide. But if it's you know, a 50-year event, it could be devastating. And I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that we could have that kind of an event. And uh, after this fall's rainfall events that we've gone through, uh, I think people need to pay attention, definitely, to what's going on. We're concerned. It was very traumatic, the fire itself, and then the potential that there could be another natural disaster um, right on our heels it was um, very alarming. The community is doing all it can to prepare. Geotechnical engineers are expected to provide more detailed information in January. And right now, officials are looking to set up a rainfall warning system and a neighborhood emergency evacuation program as well. Well, in the wake of B.C.'s disastrous flooding, we have been hearing a lot these days about building back better to prepare for climate change. But a major project in West Vancouver is proving that can be easier said than done. Ted Chernecki shows us why. Those 
quaint babbling brooks realtors so like to describe are suddenly a very real cause for concern. Homeowners of about 800 properties in West Vancouver should be worried. We know there's a number of sites within existing neighborhoods where we have undersized culverts. Those 800 should also be grateful that West Van went ahead with a $16 million project despite protests from residents who didn't want a giant pipe pouring stormwater into Burrard Inlet. Behind me, we've got a section of the diversion pipe where the pipe ranges in diameter from 1.6 meters, increasing to 2.1 meters at the outfall. This cavernous pipe goes from the foot of 31st along major streets right up to the number seven turnoff on Highway 1, where engineers encountered a big problem. Once the construction commenced, it was determined that uh, the composite of the highway fill was not viable for the construction methodology. Today you can see the unconnected pipe. It stops right at the side of the road. Engineers were surprised to find large boulders under the highway instead of solid granite. The project's been halted since August as engineers reassess. We're not moving quickly enough and, and the climate experts are telling us that things are happening way more quickly than they even expected. The delay has ramifications for Cypress Village, a proposal to build about 3,500 units of housing, almost all of it high-end, near where the current city works yards are on Cypress Bowl Road. West Van taxpayers are on the hook for $6.25 million of the pipe's cost, and because the village will add storm water runoff, the developer, British Pacific Properties, has agreed to pay the other it's an eye-opening example of how hard it is to harden infrastructure. This project is nine years in the making. Ted Chernecki, Global News. So a lot of fresh snow up on those North Shore mountains uh, this morning. Let's hope it stays there. We'll find out what's coming in the forecast now from Christy. Christy. Well, Chris, I mean, freezing level tonight is expected to drop about 300 meters. That was the case again yesterday. Um, but what happens is majority of the snow does happen over higher elevations. But look at the radar imagery. When you get sort of a very localized pocket of precipitation, it's actually the intensity of the precipitation that can cause temperatures at lower, at lower down to actually cool, in essence, lowering the uh, freezing level. So that was the case today. And again, is the possibility tonight. So pockets of precipitation still possible overnight with a more consistent wave moving across Vancouver Island and likely towards the Sunshine Coast and Howe Sound. So those are the areas that I think have the best chance of seeing snow is North Shore, Howe Sound, Sunshine Coast. But as you can see into early tomorrow morning, even the Tri-Cities could be an area where we could see it. Majority of the precipitation will stay across the South Coast region tomorrow, mostly dry for the interior. And even for Metro Vancouver, mostly dry later in the day tomorrow. The next wave of uh, snowfall for the interior is set to push in on Thursday, moving in from the north. Uh, the main plan for tomorrow and tonight will be very cold. So wind chills at minus 32 or potentially even lower overnight across the far northern regions. And even in the interior, we're talking about minus 10 to minus 15. Even during the day tomorrow, we're talking about uh, daytime highs of minus 27 and through the far northeast and minus 2, minus 3 and through the interior regions. Now, again, tonight and tomorrow morning, the possibility of snow we're talking about 
about zero to four centimeters of snow. Otherwise, we're talking about showers depending on your location and tomorrow mostly dry. Same for Thursday. It's only about a 40% chance of showers. The next more consistent rainfall is not set to push in until late Friday. And at that point, it looks like it's going to be warm enough to just be that rainfall. Here's tonight's central, with, when, central windows weather window from Ocean Park. John Layton sending us this one as the snow fell this early this morning in that area. A beautiful shot of a hummingbird. Back to you guys. Mm -hmm. Beautiful indeed. Thanks, Christy. All right, Squire's here now with a little update. Squire, and then there were three. Three. Three Canucks are now on the COVID protocol list. Uh -huh. Brad Hunt was added to it after they tested everybody this morning. But with only three, they will play tonight against uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets. Speaking of tonight, something historic happened in the NBA this evening. From the start, Wiggins again. Here's Curry for the record. That's the three-pointer that made Stephen Curry the man who has the most three-pointers in the history of the NBA. We'll talk more about that as well. Arguably the greatest shooter ever to play the game. Also later, aiming a slap shot right at hockey stereotypes. A group of women having a ton of fun in a league of their own. Well, the Boudreaux bandwagon has uh, a lot of people on it right now, doesn't it? Yes. Well, Canuck fans are used to jumping on and off mm -hmm. bandwagons. Mm -hmm. This is nothing new. This goes all the way back to when they first started in the 70s. Okay. Despite three players testing positive for COVID, the uh, Canucks game against Columbus is going to be played tonight. All the rest of the team were tested this morning. The results showed that defenseman Brad Hunt also has COVID, but Three guys on the COVID list do not stop a game in the NHL. The Canucks have taken the pregame warm-up skate, so as we said, everything is good to go. Of course, for any Canuck who was here last season, the news this morning that Luke Shen and Yuho Lamico had tested positive for COVID must have sent a rush of fear through their minds. Remember, pretty much the whole team got COVID last season. Brandon Sutter still can't play because of the after effects of having it. So a number of them told new coach Bruce Boudreaux before practice this morning about their concerns, and he decided to cancel the morning skate. Um, last year, the same thing happened in, in the skate in the morning. Uh, more players contracted it. So, I mean, uh, uh, the, the players, and, and when they told me, I was a little leery about it. So I thought that it would be the best thing concerned, even though, they didn't skate yesterday would be to take the morning off and um, uh, just to just to make sure we don't want the same things happening again. Now, even though practice was canceled, there were two players on the ice just to save defenseman Kyle Burrows and goaltender Yaroslav Halak, along with goaltending coach Ian Clark. It looks like Halak will start tonight. Thatcher Demko will get a much deserved rest. Oliver Ekman Larson also might play. He's a game time decision. Now, tonight's game between Carolina and Minnesota was postponed because six members of the Hurricanes, including Sebastian Ajo, have tested positive. Some are quarantining here in Vancouver because, of course, the Hurricanes and the Canucks played on Sunday. 
Other star players around the NHL have contracted COVID. Matthew Barzell of the Islanders, Brad Marchand of the Boston Bruins. And of course, we already knew the Calgary Flames had had their next three games postponed because of COVID. They announced the outbreak has now risen to nine players testing positive. If you're wondering, the Calgary Flames and pretty much every other team in the NHL, all the players are fully vaccinated. I think Tyler Bertuzzi of Detroit is the only unvaccinated player in the NHL. In 1979, the NBA put in the three-point line, and it was treated more as a novelty than a weapon for the offense. It was like that for a long time. Think of someone like Michael Jordan, the greatest scorer in NBA history. He only attempted 1.7 three-pointers per game during his career. Some stars used it to score, but most didn't. It took Steph Curry to show just how effective three-point shooting could be for winning games. And tonight, Curry fittingly became the all-time leader in threes made. And it happened at the Mecca, Madison Square Garden, against the Knicks. And here it is. That's the shot that passes Ray Allen for most three-pointers in a career. Now, Curry didn't take a lot of three-pointers early in his career. He began to learn And now, this year, he averages just over 13 attempts per game, 2,974. That was what was needed to set the record. And there's there's his dad, Del Curry, who played 16 seasons in the NBA and actually led the league in three-point percentage in 98-99. Well, the Whitecaps didn't lose any players in the MLS expansion draft today for Charlotte FC. They did acquire one of the players that Charlotte took off LAFC defender Tristan Blackman, who has been a very good defensive player since he joined Los Angeles in 2018. Vancouver gave Charlotte a half million in allocation money for him. North Vancouver ski cross veteran Marielle Thompson has been in recovery mode ever since she injured her knee last March in Russia. The same knee she hurt in 2017, which cost her much needed prep time for the 2018 Olympics. She feels this time around she will be 100% or close to 100% for the next Olympics, which of course is in February in Beijing. And after after winning a bronze on the weekend in ski cross, she took a big step up on the podium today at a World Cup race in Switzerland. Let's see what happened. Oh, there's Cranbrook's Zoe Chor. She was in the race as well. And Mariel Thompson. Now, of course, one thing about ski cross racing, in some ways it's a war of attrition. The two Canadians were behind in this race, but Sandra Naslin of Sweden and Fanny Smith of Switzerland had a bit of an incident halfway down the mountain. Naslin got twisted around and wiped out, and that gave Thompson an opening to just win the gold medal, basically in a photo finish. This is what happened to Smith and Naslin. Naslin completely gets turned around, and Thompson, you can see her coming in there, along with Chor, they kept their feet. And they're both on the podium, but it's Thompson who takes the gold first time on a World Cup circuit since January of 2020. Good for Big Air Mare. There you go. It's amazing the others were able to stay upright. (laughs) Just hold your breath on every run. Thanks a lot, Squire. Okay. Up next, the slashing pumpkins, the hot flashes, the Jerry hat tricks. Team names in a very special hockey league. He wrote that. I can't take credit. (laughs) Amazing team names.
Well, hockey is a part of the fabric of Canadian life, and that's true no matter how old you are or where you're from. It's true. It can be a rough sport, and that's why a group of, let's call them experienced athletes, have created a league of their own. Jay Durant takes us into the change room for another edition of This Is B.C. Big game tonight. Big game tonight. We've got to beat these guys. Playing the Slashing Pumpkins. Some fitting team names for this new league. There's also the Vintage Edition as well as the Jerry Hattricks. My husband came up with the name uh, Hot Flashes, which I thought was very appropriate for our age group. There's a new women's league operating out of Langley this winter, 45 plus, ranging all the way up to age 68, because playing amongst faster 20-something-year-olds was becoming a bit risky. Their body, you know, they're older, we can't take things as well, we don't heal as fast. It's a chance to lace up the skates once again. Some have come out of retirement. I quit for 16 years, and I just came back this year. Some started late in life, others have been playing most of their life. Since I was 13, yep. And some are back together after decades apart. I've never seen Teresa since uh, we were 14 or 15. We were playing box lacrosse together. The passion for the sport is as strong as ever. I have to try to settle it down a little, you know, because I'm getting older, but it's not an easy thing for me to do. Even if some of the skills may not be as sharp as they once were. Yeah, your timing's not quite what it used to be. You know, you entirely miss a puck that normally you think you would hit it, and you just kind of swipe and miss and wipe yourself out. The opportunity to play against peers was long overdue. The young kids, they don't want grandma in the dressing room. Come on. Like, I'm 60 now. But they'll always have a home in this league of their own. One, two, three! Jay Durant, Global News. Excellent team names. Mm -hmm. Now, if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, email your ideas to Jay. This is BC at globalnews.ca. All right, before we go, let's check in with Christy to find out if there's another... Oh, we can't get her. She doesn't have her, her microphone working right now. Oh, oh, no, there oh we is. didn't get her. <laughs> okay, okay, Christy, is there another... You got me? Yeah, we got okay. you. Another right. super spotty snowmageddon coming or what? Yeah, super spotty snowmageddon. Love it, Chris. <laughs> uh, so anywhere from zero to four centimeters, best chance of that higher elevations, North Shore, Tri-Cities, uh, House Sound is what we're looking at. She could have just done this. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. We would have known it. <laughs> Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all.